0: Thank you, Heidi. <laughs> Heidi, you look kind of like a '70s spy with the with the leather jacket and the thing. I feel like you belong in a '70s spy movie. Hey, why don't you stand with me? Um, we, we have a scripture for the reading of the word this morning, this evening, and we're going to jump into a new uh, body of content, and I'll share it with you in a minute. But I want to start here as we do, as is our custom at King's Church that we start with this standing act to say, God, your word is really important. It's really valuable. It's not just an idea. It's not just somebody's like persuasion. It's actually God's living word, the, his way that this formula that he gave us that if we follow it, our lives will have flourishing and everywhere we go will flourish. And even if stones get thrown on our heads, our dead bodies will be sown into the ground and flourishing will come from there. God's way is, is it's, it's not just, God. it's not like a bunch of guys came up with ideas and it was kind of about God. It's God's living word. And Jesus told us that it is actually the word of God. And that's why we stand to honor it. So if you guys with me will read a couple of verses starting in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Here we go. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's it, Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you that it's living and active and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God, that it's able to do a work deeply inside of us. And I ask that tonight, God, that this word would be dropped into the soil of our heart to produce the kingdom of heaven life, God, that your word always produces to hearts that are able to receive, God. So soften our hearts tonight, God. Let us receive your word with joy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Boom! Thank you, Nikki on the keys. Nikki on the keys. Nikki on the keys. I have a book right here that is in our little tiny, the tiniest bookstore that is ever known to man. (laughs) Perhaps you've seen our tiniest bookstore known to man out in the foyer. This book is being banned on Twitter. There are posts, posts that are that have this book on it, are being taken down. Um, Why? What's that, John? Because it's phenomenal. This book I bought 10 copies of. I was like, Bethany, I want to buy 50 copies. She's like, start with 10, and then we can move our way to 50. This is by Pastor Vodi Backham, who is an incredible man of God. And he is, I would say, the premier mind in the Christian world on critical race theory in the United States. And he says... Basically, the social justice movement is creating fault lines in the church and destroying the church and will create literally caverns of destruction in different churches unless they actually reconcile reconcile themselves not with philosophy, right? Not with education, but with the word of God, right? And the word of God says that this doesn't say that some system many years in the past, some ghost in the machine is at fault. It says that I am at fault, Right, It says that I am, in, I am in sin and that you are in sin. And when we reconcile ourselves with the cross, then we can live in righteousness. And, and please, if you're concerned or consider or have tried to think about uh, critical race theory in any manner at all, this guy is the guy that you should be reading. This is not somebody's idea. This is what the scripture says about the, uh, about the topic. So I highly encourage you to pick that up. And um, it's been crazy. What's that, Gabes? Yeah, there's we have about eight books left or a couple I think three we have seven left three have been purchased and then we sell out We'll buy some more and you can text KCNYC 7797 and the little price point is out there on the shelf Um, I will also say that when you know when God wants to do something in the earth the enemy comes after people with the message Do you know that? My father-in-law released a book a number of years ago on the heart of a woman. His whole ministry has been the heart of a woman. His ministry initially was abortion, and they were standing for the unborn, 50 million uh, babies aborted in their nation. And the Lord said to him, Jim, the the way to deal with this issue is not to stand out in front of abortion clinics. It's to heal the heart of a daughter that's broken. Uh, so we're dealing with fruit, and we're forgetting about the root. That is the brokenness inside people. And it's like, no, we're going to stop you. You're already at the end of the road here. And listen, I'm all about shutting down abortion clinics. That's the, but the point is, in Christ, like we go to the root of the issue, not just chop the fruit off the tree. And Jim was coming out with his book, The Heart of a Daughter. And just a couple of a month, a month or so before the book came out, he, his wife had a massive heart attack and almost died in their house. Bethany, how old were you? 15 years old, little kids in the house, and and Lisa Anderson almost died in the house just right before. Okay, so when Vodi was about to bring this uh, this book out, he's had two massive heart attack issues in a row because this is a message that God wants to bring to the nation, to the church. This is not doesn't go to the world. It goes to us inside the church to clarify these issues inside of us. It's not just a random book. I don't plug random books. This is very important, and the enemy wants to kill this guy. And so please... Um, pick it up. And if you don't read, that's fine. I don't care. Listen to them on YouTube, right? Get, a, get, get on YouTube. audio book it. Exactly. Get on YouTube. You don't have to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't read good. This is a center for ants. <laughs> we can say, listen, <laughs> orange mocha frappuccino. We can say, listen, <laughs> we can say, um, all the old guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, we have YouTube. We have all kinds of avenues to listen to people like this that are declaring God's word. And it's a word of liberation. It's a word of freedom. It's not a word of oppression, right? It's, it's a word that liberates and frees. So, okay, so welcome. Second service, Sunday night service, King's Church, second service. Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on. So glad you're all out here. We're just encouraged by what God is doing. You know, I said last week, As we started, God's doing a spirit and truth thing, right? Where the spirit of God, his presence is there and also truth. And we're not splitting the baby. We're not doing either or, we're doing both. And so for the next eight to ten weeks, I'm going to be talking approximately about the justice of God. I'm going to be kind of going into the dark side. And by the dark side, I mean the stuff that we don't often talk about in church the stuff that's uncomfortable, the stuff that's left to kind of back rooms or uh, you know, theology college classes or something about this, but uh, the stuff that's been forgotten in the church. And um, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's not just in the Old Testament, but it's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's not, an, he's not a different God. You know, Gabe Finocchio broke the internet this weekend with woke Jesus. Did anyone see that? Yes. Yes. Woke Jesus for the win or for the loss, depending upon how you want to take, take that statement. But one of the statements was that, you know, God is bad cop and Jesus is good cop. That's, a, that's an ideology that's coming into the church. You know, he's the mean justice one and Jesus is the nice, happy little lamb, tiny blue apron kind of guy. And that's not true. That's not how Jesus represents himself. And I'm going to just dive into this subject, just kind of as an introduction on the nature of good. I'm not going to go deep. Next week we'll go definitions, but this week I want to give you kind of an overview. And that's why I pulled out this scripture, First Acts 20, 28. Where Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus. He's just spent a bunch of time there. And he's poured out his heart and his soul and his life there. And there are these baby Christians and it's like the tender shoot. It's like, it's like the babies that you're really protective over. It's like you get, you know, you ever see like a mom at the park where somebody's messing her with her baby? Like irrational crazy, right? Like the mother bear, the bear that gets taken. Like you don't want to be around the mom bear. Irrational crazy eat you alive, consume you. And Paul almost has part of this. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Paul's like, this is incredibly valuable. You've been entrusted by God to see this thing, to make sure they're holding the line. And he's like, check this out. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. And Paul's like, this game we're playing is serious. And eternity is on the line and people will see the move of God. They'll rise up in your own midst from among you and they'll distort the truth and draw people after themselves as opposed to after Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have a church culture, friends, and I don't want to name names or bash people. We have a church culture that is about celebrity, literally people being drawn after me as opposed to being drawn after Christ. And more celebrity pastors are known than Christ Jesus is known. And Paul's like, watch it, friends, because wolves come up from among your own flock. And I'm a dad, you know? And so, dad's duty is to protect. You know, I have Bethany, she's nur- she's she's, she's a nurturer, she's got ho- literally holding a baby right now. I didn't plan this, <laughs> she's holding a baby. <laughs> Thank you for letting us borrow your baby. <laughs> she's holding little Evan right now. It's in their nature to be a nurturer. It's in their nature to care for, to snuggle, to kiss. It's in my nature to protect. Dad kills. If you get around my family and you're trying to hurt my family, you should know something that dad kills. Right? Dad doesn't just say, I'm going I'm I'm to roll over and pray for you. Come in and destroy my family. Just let me, let me tell you something. Dad sometimes kills. And, and it's an incredible balance because mother is nurture and life and soft and... And you're born in and through. And dad is structure and order and discipline and judgment and correction. And we have a church that's massively effeminized and and rejects father. Rejects order and correction and honor and discipline. And it's an effeminized church that wants feeling and hates and rejects. And I get it. I get it. I get it. We have a fatherless... We have 20 million fatherless uh, sons and daughters in our country. 20 million. Uh, President Obama, a few years ago, he said, if you don't have a father in the home, he, he, I like to use his, him as the quotation because the Democrats don't usually say this, and I, don't mean, I just mean that they like to reject the idea that fathers are a big deal. He said if there's no father in the home, there's five times more likely that a son will be incarcerated in jail for life, no father, no structure, no order, no discipline, no sword. I was, um, I was 27 or so, 26, 27, and I'm like a little baseball bat kind of guy. It just is who I am. I'm a little baseball bat guy. I'm not a big baseball bat guy. I want a t-ball bat. It's easy to swing. It's easy to handle. And, uh, I have one by my bedside in case I just, just in case, just in case. And, Beth- and Leon, w- Bethany was in the bed next to me, as wives normally are, <laughs> and, Be- and Leon was in the room, and it's dark out, and it's about five in the morning, although at the time, I don't know what time it is. I wake up, and there's someone at my window in my little tiny house, and it's like, it's a flimsy little house, so like, they can poke a hole through it, you know? And I don't even, I don't even think, I jump out of my bed with my baseball back and I charge out of the out of my house in my and my pink <laughs> boxers. <laughs> Much better shape back then. I wasn't ashamed. <laughs> and I'm I have the and and I, I'm I'm out there and there's a person outside and she's <laughs> this mentally retarded woman and she's like, "My squirrel is in the tree." And I'm like, "What's happening?" Like you're not even worried at all about me here. She's like, that's my squirrel in the tree. And I was like, I don't think that's your squirrel there, ma'am. This is my property, and maybe it is. Uh, I'm just going to go back inside now. It's in the nature of Father to protect. God put it in the nature of Father to protect. Not to roll over and say, well, who knows what's going to happen? I'm going to hide here under the blankets. It is in the nature of of father to protect and that's why Paul says in the spiritual context wolves will arise among you overseer your job is to protect check this out Psalm 78 then the Lord awoke as from sleep like a mighty warrior overcome by wine he beat back his foes he put them to everlasting shame the Lord awoke in ballistic rage, drunk, insane rage against his enemies. It's the description of God. It's not the description of the enemy. And listen, I'm not talking in, I'm talking in the spiritual, not in the natural. I'm not saying that all you men should have, should chase the squirrel lady with a bat. Please, please get me here. I'm saying that it is in the nature of Father to be a protector. It is in the nature of God to rise up against his enemies with massive rage, with, with terrifying rage. Psalm 78, and he awoke as from sleep like a mighty warrior overcome by wine. It's in the same sense of the mother bearer and the feminine that the, the, the father and the masculine is overcome. His rational faculties are not even there. All he wants to do is defend and protect. We have this notion in our culture, it's called, It's called toxic masculinity. Has anyone heard the term before? Give me a a raise of hands. I don't literally think there's anyone that hasn't heard of that term before. Have you heard of the corollary caustic femininity? No, because it doesn't exist. Because it doesn't exist because Satan hates masculinity. He hates femininity, femininity, so he tries to turn it into sexual power. And he hates masculinity, so he tries to turn it into oppression. He tries to turn it into dominance. When Jesus said, husbands, love your wife like, life, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, laid his life down for her, stood in, the, in harm's way that she would be protected, that carried the sword. I was, in a, I was um, in a, in a, at an event with... with Nathan Finocchio, Gabe's brother, and I was speaking, and I said to this group of Christians, I said, and don't you know that good kills? And it was like people were like, 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 it was like a vampire that you threw holy water on. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) I said, good sometimes has to kill. And it was like, it was like I was a, a lunatic. They had never that is is a church has been dunked in this ideology. Good, good father. Good, good father. Nice, nice father. Dad's the same thing as a mom. There's no differentiation. Man is a woman. There's no protection. And that's not what good is. You know, the first place that we see a sword in the Bible is not from hell. Do you know that it's not created in hell by the devil and says, hey, like you were all just like sipping on like dandelions and now I brought a sword. I'm going to crack the whole thing. Ha Let me read something to you. It says this. In Genesis 3:24, and he drove out the man out. He drove the man out, and he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The sword came from heaven, it came from God's domain, it was given to the angels. I wrote this, the sword was not conjured by a dark man in a dark dungeon muttering dark syllables. It has never classically been the witch's tool. The sword is the tool of the hero, even when reluctantly. The sword is heavenly in origin. The sword came from God's domain, from his home. This first place we see the sword in Scripture is not in a battle. It is not used in malevolence by the malevolent. It is not used to oppress. It is used to define and defend a border. See, because man had started listening to the serpent, right? He, was, he stopped listening to God's ordinances and his way and he started listening to the serpent. And then so for him to be listening to the serpent and have access to the tree of life and have eternal life would be horrible for everyone, would be the destruction of humanity. So the Lord brings the sword to protect us, to protect humanity. I love this stuff. It's so fun for me. I just think it's so great. You know, it's so funny because Jesus came to bring a sword to earth, right? Let's read the scripture Matthew 10 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Yes, he's the prince of peace. Yes, the gospel is paradoxical. It's a paradox, and it's complicated. It's not baby simple elementary school. He came to bring peace through the sword. That he would divide. It says, and I came that, that father and son would be separated and brother against brother and friend against friend. That there would be this division. It would be clear light versus darkness. The enemy wouldn't continue to come and confuse and make everything gray and the same. But I would bring clarity and order and border and boundary and discipline and structure. That's what father is. That's what father does. That's what father brings. Oh, you should see how well my, sk- my kids do their schoolwork when dad walks in. <laughs> dad comes in for lunch break and they haven't been doing their schoolwork very well. All of a sudden, like, they are like, I'm super studious, dad. <laughs> Look how sharp my pencil is. Because dad brings order and structure and they know if they step out of line, dad brings... Heat on the buns, you know? (laughs) And the scripture says, we said this this morning, Revelation chapter 3. It says, I rebuke you because I love you. The son who I rebuke is the son that I love. We have like we have like hyper evangelism charismatic church and there's zero rebuke, there's zero correction. She's like, you just gotta love Jesus more. You just gotta soak, you just gotta go through the fire tunnel. Get everybody in a row, go through the fire tunnel. And I came back on the other side and I'm still a rebellious cuss. But I feel slightly better, so I'll be nice for the next five to ten minutes, you won't be able to tell. Right? that's great. We love the spirit and presence of God, but it has to be married to structure and order and discipline and sword. And we have to be willing to say, God, can you cut me with the sword? Can you cut off the things that are deadly inside of me? The cancer that's living and, and breathing inside of me, that's feeding off of me. The ancient Japanese swordsman Yagyu Munimiro said, it is bias to think of the art of war that it's just for the killing of people. It is not to kill people. It is to kill evil. It is a stratagem to give life to many people by the killing of the evil. The idea that punishment or, or, or discipline or order or justice uh, and, and to, to place those all of those things inside of a negative, negative connotation makes people grow up and allows cancer to be living on the inside of them. And it creates a church that's full of sin and full of chaos and then will consume itself ultimately. In the United States right now, um, the stats are that 70 per, 72% of the United States, secular and Christian alike, recognize that the biggest issue in our country is that we are a fatherless people. We are a fatherless nation. We have rejected the idea of father. Even the Catholic Church, like their priests, they call them, what do they call them? They call them father. They're a, a person that brings order and safety, and when there needs to be discipline. All of these things make for an incredibly strong church and an incredibly healthy people when they're held in the right context. Isaiah 53.10, it says this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In the hand of God, the sword brings life and prosperity to the sons and daughters of God. The sword is not some kind of whip you beat you make you feel guilty make you feel horrible thing. It actually in the hand of God it causes us to have life and to prosper. I don't know if you've ever pruned a rose bush. anybody any any gardeners here? Yeah, good, 2, 3. Yes, praise God. We had uh, our first house, the uh, squirrel baseball bat house. We had uh, three rose bushes outside of the front of it and I didn't care about them. They just kind of existed there. And they didn't really produce flowers until I read about it. And then we chopped all of these excess branches off. And then all of a sudden, they started producing flowers like crazy because they had all of this superfluity, all of these excess branches and leaves. And the energy of the life of the plant was going to all of this excess. And the sword needed to come, the clippers in this case, and chop off the unnecessary pieces so the life force of the plant could go to produce the thing of beauty. And sometimes it's not like crazy, lunatic sin in our lives. Sometimes it's just going before the sword and saying, God, can you cut away the excess so I can produce the thing of beauty? So my energy, so my focus, so my drive, bring me the sword, God, so my energy and focus produces a thing of beauty. Not just leaves everywhere, but flowers, but scent, but fragrance. Swords and flowers, man. It's good tattoo material right there. You know it's true, you know it's true. Um, There's a guy, his name was Bonhoeffer, and he talked about this concept of cheap grace. He said the church basically, and this is the 1940s, he was dealing with Nazi Germany, he was a German theologian, and he died trying to shut down Hitler, trying to take him out with a, with a team, which is about the coolest thing ever. Um, And he said this, he said, the proclamation of grace has its limits. Let me say that again. Let me say that again to the humongous welcome home everyone sign. Let me just say that again. Okay. (laughs) The proclamation of grace has its limits. The world upon whom grace is thrust as a bargain will grow tired of it. Listen to me. This is super important. The world... Whom grace is thrust upon as a bargain will grow tired of it. And it will not only trample upon the holy, but it will tear apart those who force it upon them. And We have a church, guys, that's shotgunning the grace of God like it has no value. No, 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 just say a prayer. No, 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 I don't care how you live. No, 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 just say a prayer. Ah, Jesus loves you. No, no, no. It says this, it says this, um, Jesus says, don't, don't give to dogs what is holy and don't cast your pearls before swine lest they trample over them and then come and trample you. And we've taken the most holy thing, the blood of Jesus, and we've made it some kind of shotgun cheap thing. Everybody say a prayer. ha, ah, quick, get in, get in, get in. i want to read this one more time. The world upon whom grace is thrust as a bargain will grow tired of it. And it will not only trample upon the holy, but tear apart those who force it upon them. And this idea Bonhoeffer was talking about, this idea of cheap grace, is like that. this incredible justice of God, that God is just. His throne is founded upon justice, and mercy and grace flow forth from him. But fundamentally, God is perfectly just. And because of our sin, because of our chaos, because of our decisions that he had to strike. And Jesus, the beloved, the perfect, the righteous, the just, he came and took our place. And it's not cheap. It's, it, it's, it doesn't mean nothing. You can't just say a prayer and say, I'm going to go live my own life. It's, it's not worthless. The sword of God is real. And it was executed upon a son that was beautiful and perfect and blameless and loved us desperately and we rejected him. And I I, I just think about the the church culture of, of the United States today singing songs over and over about, oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. It's not reckless. It's exacting, it's specific. And I get poetry, man, I love poetry. My wife bought me a couple of cat poetry books. This is a true story, and I love them. They're cat poetry. you know the play Cats is based off a cat poetry book? You know that? Anybody know that? It's true, and it's beautiful. Greg knows it, of course Greg knows it, yes. (laughs) It's true. I love poetry, and I love poetic songs, but God's love is not reckless. It's specific, and his justice is exacting. And we have a world that doesn't believe in the exacting justice of God. And so we have a dishonorable church that's without the sword, without order, without rebuke, without correction, without father. And we live in a culture that's rejected father. And it's incredible because Jesus said when you pray in Luke chapter 11, he said when you pray, pray our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, Someone once said that 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 translation if you were to take it into our kind of colloquialism, it would be um, Daddy, sir, and there is that part that is that is that is intimate There is the part of the father that's intimate But there's also the part of the our father that is holy and just and righteous and good and So unbelievably exacting because it's perfect It's perfect And so, ultimately, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring a sword. And the cross is a picture of a sword. And if you look at the symbol of the cross, John Stott talks about this. The the symbol of a cross has this picture of man, earth, you know, parallel meeting the vertical meeting heaven. But if you look at the cross, if you look at any symbol of a cross, then you see uh, it looks like a sword upside down that's been stabbed into the earth itself. And that Jesus said, I didn't bring come to bring peace, but I came to bring the judgment of God for you on myself. I didn't come to bring peace to me. I didn't come to bring some kingdom that I'm just going to be surfing my way through. I came to bring the judgment of God onto myself for you. And in the same way that the sword was held by the angel that blocked the way into the Garden of Eden for man, Jesus has a different sword that opens the way. The death of himself, and then as we follow into baptism, the death of us To rise to life again in the new garden in fellowship with God because you see friends good kills justice is exacting and for our sins the sword was executed on a perfect and righteous son and that sword still stands today and it still stands at the garden for us to enter into through our death just like Jesus through turning to him by saying, God, can you bring the sword into my life? And there's that salvific way. There's that kind of ultimate way where the sword comes to us at salvation, where we give our lives to Jesus and we die and we we're baptized. And there's that picture of resurrection into new life. And then there's also that picture where we say, God, I want more of your life inside of me. Will you bring the sword again? I want, more of, I want more of your life in me. Can you bring, cut off the pieces of me that are superfluous? God, will you be a good, good father to me? Not just a nice, nice father, but a good, good, a just, a righteous, a holy, a perfect father that would cut away from me the things that want to kill me. I wrote recently, God hates things. God hates the things that want to kill you because he desperately loves you. And so, Father, we just thank you for the sword from heaven, for the redemption in Jesus. And God, can you just teach us? Like, like we, don't even, we don't even get it, God. Our culture is so far away from understanding your justice and your mercy married together. Will you teach us about your goodness. Will you teach us about your justice, God, that we can walk like Jesus walked, full of grace and full of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me, church?